Hi there. Welcome to Finding Space with Alex Tyson, the show that celebrates the everyday legends who put in the hard work to become who they want to be and live the life they want to live. For people who understand that when we practice compassion and find wisdom within ourselves, we find success and happiness. Join me in hearing amazing stories from everyday individuals who have found incredible personal and professional growth through varied and, at times, wild methods of self-improvement and self-responsibility, and through their unique perspectives and work, have gone on to better the lives of those around them. From nurturing health to growing your wealth, or enjoying the present to crafting your future, no aspect of life is off-topic. G'day everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Finding Space with Alex Tyson. I hope you're having a good day. I hope you've been getting some stuff done or resting should you need to. You know, that yin and yang is always important. Sometimes we get stuck doing too much shit. Sometimes we get stuck not looking after ourselves and rejuvenating after we've been doing a lot of stuff. So wherever you're at in the cycle, I hope you're giving yourself what you need. Today, I'm talking with someone who I think will inspire you to go and get some shit done. Even if you've been maybe putting it off or struggling to find motivation for that thing, whatever that may be, big or small, maybe it's just doing the dishes. (laughs) Maybe it's acquiring a new business, whatever that might be. Oftentimes I find there's something in our lives that maybe we've been putting off or not doing. And when we really unpack it, it's not really for any good reason other than a very old part of our brain, the monkey brain coming up with a story as to why we shouldn't do it. So today's guest, hopefully our conversation, will uh, help you shift that thought and that mindset. Today, I'm speaking with Paul Taylor. Paul Taylor is a former Navy aircrew officer where he served the British Navy for eight years. Paul is a neuroscientist, exercise physiologist, and nutritionist who is currently completing a PhD in applied psychology where he's developing and testing resilience strategies with the Australian Defence Science Technology Group and the University of Tasmania. In today's quickfire episode, we discuss how to successfully work toward your goals, behaviour change psychology, the inner gremlin and the inner sage voice of reason, cultivating awareness and the health fundamentals Paul follows with his family and how he addresses each of them in his day-to-day. This episode of Finding Space with Alex Tyson is brought to you by Found Space. Make your home a place of wellness to live a long and healthy life. Visit foundspace.com.au for more information. And so I give you Paul Taylor. Paul Taylor, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, mate. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. So, man, I've been listening to your podcasts. I've been consuming some of the good stuff that you do. And I was telling some friends about, oh, I've got Paul Taylor coming on. They go, oh, who's he? I kind of get a bit lost trying to explain exactly what you do and the kind of field that you're in. So maybe if we could start there, if you could tell me a bit about exactly what you do and and, and where you're at, where your head's at. Sure. Well, I work, I I work mostly with corporates in the, in the realm of, of peak performance. So that incorporates um, leadership stuff, um, but a lot of resilience stuff and, and what I call performance well-being. And I kind of work in that nexus where, Resilience meets well-being meets performance, right? And my my background's pretty eclectic. I'm ex-British Armed Forces, spent eight years chasing submarines around in helicopters, doing helicopter search and rescue and stuff like that. And then um, I left the military and became a geek. 
So I'm now an exercise physiologist, neuroscientist, nutritionist, doing a PhD in psychology. So you're busy. I'm busy. The devil makes hands or makes work for idle hands. I think that's what they say. <laughs> I get into mischief if I'm not busy. Amen, man. Yeah. Okay. I love that. And so you were in the, the did you say the British forces? Yeah. British Navy. So I was a um, Navy air crew. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And coming out of that, had you planned, like, did you leave that thinking, okay, there's some really interesting stuff that I've learned through going through this experience. I think it could, I think it could be shared to the corporate world, to mm. high level execs and, and CEOs because they need some resilience. Like, is that where your head was at or did you just kind of end up falling into this? No, no it wasn't quite there actually. Cause I'd done, I'd done a master's degree in sports science before I joined. Um, and my secondary roles were always um, a, a sports officer or something like that. So I, um, and when I was doing helicopter search and rescue in Scotland, um, I started my secondary role was sports officer and I started doing a well-being newsletter and I had started doing a master's degree, a part-time master's degree in nutrition mm-hmm. um, because with search and rescue, you know, you've got th- um, three days on, three days standby, three days off. So you go day on, day standby, day on, day standby, day on, day standby, and then three days off. So there's a lot of spare time. And so I I, I did a part-time master's in nutrition um, with the plan of then becoming a physiologist and nutritionist in private practice. Um, right. And I'd met an Aussie at that time. So the plan then was to move to Australia. So I came to Australia, set up as a physiologist and nutritionist, um, initially just doing one-on-one stuff, mm. but mostly with corporates and then um, got asked to go and do a talk uh, by one of my clients to his team. And um, and it just kind of started from there, really. And then it was after a while of doing a lot of stuff, working with people around um, their own health behaviors that, you know, I realized that just, you know, telling people what to do and giving them information wasn't really enough. It's really all about behavior change. So, um, what I did then is I went and did another postgrad in neuroscience to really understand the brain and human behavior and how it works. And that's when I think more of my corporate stuff started kicking in. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, you say it starts with behavior change. That to me feels like the hardest bit of making oh, any change. Massively. Right? Massively, right? I mean, where do you even, where, where do you even begin? So, for example, I've... Uh, a brief overview of my journey. I've done a bunch of water fasting. I've done 30 days water fast, 21 day water wow. fast. Changed That's my hardcore. New- that is <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty hardcore. Um, you know, change. Interesting. Change- so, sorry, Alex. Interestingly, a lot of people will go, oh, that shit's dangerous. That'll kill you. You know, you shouldn't be fasting for any period. And you know what? When people can say about that, and there are even health professionals who say, oh, fasting's unsafe, it's unhealthy. I show them a research paper, the world record fast was in the 60s. It was a Scottish guy who was about 200 kilos and he went to his doctor and he said, I'm a bit overweight. I think I need to stop eating for a while. Will you supervise me? And he did 382 days. Holy shit, man. 382 (laughs) days. He lost 120 kilos and he kept kept it off, right? So people go, you shouldn't be fasting for seven or 14 or 21 days. Like, come on. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Now and we I mean, don't all have 120 kilos of fat as reserves, right? But for yes. for general individuals, couple of weeks, it, it's all a, it's just a mental game, right? Yeah. Totally. Uh, yeah. I mean, he had plenty of reserves, right? So yes. he, he, I mean, that's Jesus. That's that's unreal. It's a long time. Uh, and but yeah, it's that's that, that's why I mentioned it because it it, it is all a mental game, you yeah. know. And 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 there's various points throughout it where it's easy and then it's hard and then it's easy and then you go through another detox phase and it gets hard again. And, you know, it's, it's a real challenge. Uh, and, and many people say to me, like, or have said to me, Alex, I'll, I'll die if I don't go, if I go a day without food, you know, Oh yeah. I can't go six hours. I'll start, you know, yelling at someone. Right. Uh, yeah. Because there's this, there's this behavior and there's this belief around it not being possible or whatever that might be. So, where where do we start when we're actually trying to make some significant change in yep. our life, whether it be in our nutrition or or, or in our, our mindset or, or how we work out, whatever that might be? Like, where can we actually start to make some change? Yeah, look, the, the, the place where I always start with people is why is it important to you, right? Because that is absolutely key. And if you can link that to your values um, and then you are much more likely to succeed, right? So a lot of people, oh, I want to lose weight. But well, why do you want to lose weight? Oh, because, you know, I want to I want to look good or whatever it may be. But often the weight loss journey comes down to self-esteem, right? And, and then it's, you know, I, I want to feel better about myself. Okay, now that's a good reason, right? Um, so I, I like to just really unpack for people, why it's important to them and and then um, go through a whole process. I use a process called motivational interviewing, which is um, a very proven successful process for helping people to change their behavior. And basically it's 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 just around coaching them to find their reasons why it's important to them. Um, you know, why they need to change, you know, what steps can get in the way, all of those things, and then creating a plan and a process. Mm. Um, because for me, process beats goals every day of the week. And a lot of people, you know, when you're highly motivated, you can do shit, right? And people have go motivation. And if you're relying on motivation, you know, it waxes and wanes. Mm. And then when the motivation is low, people fall off the wagon. And our brains are very, very good at giving us reasons why we should fall <laughs> off the wagon, right? Earth, we're, we're, we're experts at that. <laughs> okay. So someone's at home, they're thinking, oh, this is the thing I need to do, right? How do they actually create a process like to find out what, what's going to work for them? And, and, and is the motivation something that they'll then come back to when it gets hard? So here's the thing that I always say to people. We've got an arse about face when it comes to motivation. Lots of people are sitting around, they're writing goals. I'd love to have that. I'd love to have that. And they're waiting for motivation. You know, I'll start next week. I'll start next month, whatever it may be. I'll start when I'm motivated. Motivation follows action. And um, this is what but I think we, we just have it completely the wrong, wrong way around. When you are in forward motion, when you're moving towards a goal, that's what releases dopamine in the brain. All right. Um, it, it's one of the things. I mean, there's other things that release dopamine in, in, in the brain, but dopamine is about goal directed behavior and motivation. And, it, and it, it happens when your brain sees that you are in forward motion and that you're making progress. Mm. So I say to people, the key, the key thing is just get started 
on some behaviors, right? And, and I've got a little thing that I use called a ritual board where people write down um, the things they need to do. So I really drill down with people into, okay, you want to lose weight or you want to get fit or whatever it may be, what are the steps that you need to take? What are they? T- tell me, describe what you would be doing on a daily basis if you're making progress towards your journey. Like if we were watching you in a movie, what actions are you taking, right? Oh, so I'm getting up and I'm exercising. I'm, I'm, I'm eating a healthy breakfast, right? I'm eating a healthy, whatever. I'm, I'm having an alcohol-free day. Okay, so write those things down. Give yourself targets by the week and, and stick it somewhere where you will see it, right? Um, and then ticking the stuff off actually gives your brain feedback that, what I'm doing is making a difference, right? So if you think of the things that 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 will influence dopamine, food, water, sex, nurturing, and goal-directed behavior or, or achievement. So when you're achieving stuff, you get that little head of dopamine that says, that shit felt good, do it again, right? And so that ticking off uh, on a board, I think is really, really important. But the, the, the process is just like, you're watching a movie, you're watching yourself. What actions are you taking? That's key for the first step. I love that. And then over time, when I mean, we start to see this progress, we're taking a bunch of stuff off. We're That's right. Feel a little bit better or whatever that might be. And when you're starting to, to see the progress and feel the progress, that is what drives what's called self-efficacy. The belief that what I'm doing is making a difference. And that is the single biggest driver of behavior change, right? Mm-hmm. Is this self-efficacy. So a lot of people, you know, they'll start on something, they get some early results, they're motivated, then they had a plateau. And so the feedback to the brain, this is not working. There's no self-efficacy and they just, they throw it all in, right? Yeah. So that self-efficacy is pretty key. And how do you know if you're making a difference? Well, you got to have measurable stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I say to people, you, you know, focus on the process, not the outcome. Um, and this goes from individuals all the way up to elite athletes. When you focus on the outcome, um, you know, it's further away and, and, and it's like, oh, well, I feel this sort of stuff. It creates, you just got to focus on the process of doing stuff. And when you're not motivated, because there'll be days when you're not motivated, just do something, right? That is pretty key. Just keep yourself every day in forward motion, right? Yes, there's going to be some days that aren't great. There are going to be some that you're going backwards, but at least if you've made some steps forward, then you've done something. That's pretty key. And even even sometimes just doing it is a step forward because in the past you wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah mate, mate, absolutely. And that's why I say motivation follows action, right? And, and just think every step forward that I'm making towards my goal or towards the person I want to be, um, is is of benefit. And 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 it's actually the other thing that I mean, there's a few little things in neuroscience that you can do. Um, and, and there's some interesting stuff around savoring, right? That when you achieve something, whether it's a step towards your goal or the goal itself or just a behavior, to actually go, you know what, that was really good. You know, I I get up, I don't feel like I work out, um, I go and do the workout anyway. Afterwards, you've got to, and the research says you got to savor it for 12 seconds, right? Right. In order to lock that into your brain, right? And and to have that impact 
um, in in the brain is to actually reflect and went, you know what? I was really bloody good. I, I got up this morning and I did not feel like it, but I went and did it. That is bloody awesome, right? That's the sort of stuff that people should be doing. Yeah, spot on, spot on. So where does, where does resilience come into it, right? So <laughs> because, I mean, we're talking about some, some, some basic things here, right? But you're working with, you know, some really high, high net worth individuals who I imagine have a ridiculous workload. And so where does resilience coming into, we're, we're setting some, some big goals and we're, and we're getting, we're enjoying the process. How do we start to bake resilience into that whole experience? So re- resilience in this context um, so, 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 you know, you'll hear resilience described as different things. Um, you know, typically it's the ability to, to get back up again when you've been knocked down or, or, you, you know, to, to pursue. And we could use kind of different words interchangeably. And um, there's a, there's a very strong link with, with, a, the resilience to, to keep going when you're not getting results, but it's also linked very strongly to discipline. Um, and a lot of people don't talk about discipline. You know, you read Big Some Behavior Change and they, they talk about a whole heap of stuff. Not many people talk about discipline. And discipline is is something that is really, really important. It's something that was baked in to me from my time in the in the military. And still, you know, if I look back, some of the guys that I joined the military with, you know, we're all around 50 now. Um, but there, there's very few people that I know that I was in the military with that are 50-year-old and fat and out of shape. And, and, and why is that? Did we get nutritional training in the military? No, discipline. Right. That that really is the key differentiator. A lot of people just lack that discipline to do stuff when they don't want to actually do it. And in this context, I think it's strongly linked into resilience. Right. And how would you describe or how, how would you define discipline in this sense? Well, d- discipline is just about um, um, being regimented about what you do and doing stuff even when you don't feel like doing it, right? That, that, that's pretty key. And a lot of us, we get into trouble because we live a life dictated by our feelings and our emotions. So I don't feel like working out today. You know, I don't feel like that healthy food. I feel like some comfort food. You know, I've had a hard day. I feel like a drink, you know, this sort of stuff. And when we live that life driven by our feelings, in this world, this modern world where there is comfort all around us, I think that really becomes an issue. And 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 part of it then is to, well, how do I live a life that's not driven by our my feelings? And we can get into that in a, in a little bit more, but I think you wanted to say something there. I just noticed. Uh, I was, what I was going to say was it's that monkey brain kicking in, yeah. right? Yeah. It's that, that the comfort, it's easy. Oh, that's too hard. And the stories that we tell ourselves. Like you were saying before, like this thing up here, it's very good at concocting reasons why we shouldn't do anything. Absolutely. And and I like to call it, you know, this, this monkey brain, as you, you described it, I, I like to call that our inner gremlin. Right? <laughs> right. And everybody's got one. And, and, you know, your listeners, I describe your inner gremlin. That's you when you're a little bit shit. That crappy version of you that starts the day by saying press snooze and 
doesn't want to do stuff and whinges and bitches and be the victim and is negative and sometimes afraid, right? And you shouldn't do this and blah, blah, blah. And, and sometimes your gremlin is there to try to protect you, right? Um, particularly for people who've had a rocky past, the gremlin often will pop up. And, and when you live a life that's dictated by your gremlin, which is very much a feeling um, emotional response, right? And, and that's the link in with that monkey mind, you know, that more emotional brain. Um, you, everybody ultimately gets to choose whether or not they listen to their gremlin, right? And and most people, um, when I talk about it, they go, yeah, fuck, I never, I never thought about it like that. I never thought about this thing, the gremlin. And, and the idea of... of so I, I run a process with people in workshops about creating your gremlin. And then you create something else called your sage, right? So the gremlin is you at your worst and that all the negative victim stuff, the anxiety, that self-talk, the negative self-talk, you, you know, the overthinking, all of this. Yeah. And, and, and then you have this other character, which is you at your best, which I call your inner sage. And the reason I use sage is I'm a big fan of the Stoic philosophers and yeah. they talk about their sage, right? So from the, the sage can be external or internal, right? It can be something like maybe your grandfather who or your grandmother who were awesome, or you can just, I like to just help it, help people to just create an awesome version of themselves, right? So you got your gremlin and your sage. And then when this negative yap, 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 yap is going on, you go, ah, gremlin, <laughs> there you are. Thanks for that story that you're telling me, but it's not helpful right now. And that's where you take your gremlin and you stick it in your back pocket and, and it's still going, right? It doesn't shut it up. It's still yap, 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 yap. But that's where you shift your attention, right? And, and this is pretty um, critical. Shifting your attention to your inner sage, right? And saying, well, what would my sage do right now? This is a process in psychology that we call self-distancing. To actually consult another entity, either sort of an external one or an internal entity. And, and when you do that, when you use this self-distancing um, process, it's been shown to increase your courage and, and, and actually improve the, the choices that you make. And I like to, to get people to think about all day long, we are faced with choices, much more than our ancestors did, right? About, you know, we got all these choices all day long about what we eat, right? And um, whether or not we're going to move, um, where we're going to get off our arse, um, um, you know, how we're going to react to certain circumstances and things like that. Um, and, and those choices, they're linked to um, Viktor Frankl, um, who's a Jewish psychiatrist, wrote, wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Brilliant book if, if people haven't read it. And he says that in between stimulus and response lies our power to choose, to choose how we react to our circumstances, right? And, and that, that concept has been taken in, in a process called acceptance commitment therapy, which is very successful intervention, psychological intervention for people with anxiety, depression, and mood disorders. And, and Ross Harris, who's a, a doctor, who's an educator in this stuff, he talks about the choice point. Right. Um, which is Frankel stuff, basically. But what he says is we have all of these choices that can either take us towards the person we want to be or towards our goal or can take us away 
from the person that we want to be. So are you going to do a towards move or an away move, right? So this is a tool that's used in ACT, acceptance commitment therapy, that, that is very strongly grounded in philosophical notions and ideas that people can use on a daily basis. But it's being aware of the choice point. And the words right out of my mouth. Aware that your gremlin is in control, right? Yeah. That's the, the first step is that self-awareness, right? And, and that was brought home to me, oh, Jesus, must be nearly 30 years ago. I was backpacking. I was in Cambodia and I'd gone to visit some temple very remote. And there was a, there was a female monk up there at the top who was there for a month just meditating. And, and I had a, a guide with me uh, and I sort of talked to her through, through the interpreter. And I said, you know, I was trying to do no mind meditation where you completely empty your mind. And I said, you know, I'm struggling with it. And she laughed her leg off. <laughs> and she said, through the interpreter, she said, don't worry about that. You just need to be the watcher. Right. Mm. And it took a while to sink in. It's just being the watcher of your own mind, being the observer without judgment. Right. But using that idea of the watcher to actually notice when you, um, when you feel that anxiety come up or the negativity or just any other time when your gremlin pops up that's the time to go, ah, okay. And there was the trigger and blah, 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 blah. Right. So the first step in all of this is self-awareness. There is a period before you actually notice that there's a watcher, right. And you, and, and prior to that, prior to me having that kind of not revelation, but realization, I was just in my thoughts forever. Right. So there's some work to get to that point. Absolutely. And a lot of people, they just get, um, and again, this is, this is something from, from ACT as well. They talk about um, getting hooked by your thoughts, mm-hmm. right? So it's like a fishing uh, and I get hooked by that thought. And, and all of a sudden that thought takes me in a direction that can often become a, a nasty, vicious vortex, right? Yeah. Overthinking, anxiety, depression, all of those things, right? So if you think about people are anxious and depressed, they're not anxious and depressed 24-7. Mm. They're anxious and depressed mainly when they're paying attention, when they're getting hooked by those mm. thoughts, right? That's key. So that awareness that you're actually you're being hooked by those thoughts and then trying to unhook yourself is really, really quite critical. What sort of meditative practice, or maybe it's not meditative, but to, how do you keep that awareness going in your life? You know? um, look, it, it, it is just a process of, of being the watcher, right? Now, what we know is that any form of mindfulness meditation is going to enhance your ability to do that, to, to become self-aware, right? So people can do all sorts of different fo- forms of not mindfulness, but or, or you can just, at points, just, just practice being the watcher. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really about the doing, and the more often you do it, so your brain will actually commit sales to whatever you pay attention to, mm-hmm. right? And so when you turn that attention self-aware, but from from a distance, observing it without being hooked by it, 
that's a really important thing. And, and, and there's, there's different ways that you can do it. Yeah, you know, leaves on a stream is a process that we use. And my wife uses a lot of these because she's qualified in act and, and, and Japanese psychology. So your thoughts are just like leaves on the stream that will just go and you just watch them and let them go. Or they're like clouds, right? Mm-hmm. And rather be, than be hooked and go on that journey, you just notice it. Oh, that's an interesting thought. And you just let it go, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Sometimes the gremlin, even this morning, right? I was telling you just when we're off air, like we got home last night and from all the floods up here, there's mold growing. Yeah. I sat sat down this morning to do my 20 minutes meditation. First thing I get out of bed and I just go and sit, right? And immediately this thought comes up, Alex, you can smell the mold. Stop meditating and go and fix the mold, right? Right? And and then I'm like, oh, I've got Paul coming on the podcast later. Like (laughs) stuff I want to do about that. And then I'm like, whoa, dude, right? And sometimes you end up going down this this road, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you and then you catch yourself and you're like, dude, <laughs> that can wait. You got time. Yeah, just notice right. it, right? Yeah. But it takes it, it it takes time. And one thing I find helps for me is actually the time spent sitting, especially those first like five ten minutes. There's lots of thoughts going on. Yeah. But if I do it long enough, like twenty minutes at least or beyond. Then I find I realize like I'm just sitting here. Look at my mind go, and sometimes I laugh at it. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's, like, in, it's interesting, Christ. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes, sometimes monkey mind jumps in. Yabba 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 yabba. Yes. Right? The Dalai Lama talks about that. It's just Jesus, you're active this morning, monkey <laughs> mind, aren't you? Yeah. But it's that, and, and it's just a way of unhooking. And, and a simple way to unhook is it's just directing, redirecting your attention. Right? This is really key. Japanese psychology. And um, they, they say that your life is the summation of where you place your attention. Hmm. Right? And from a neuroscience perspective, that's a pretty accurate statement because your brain, as I said earlier, commits sales to whatever you're paying attention to. So it's just the first step, as we talked about, is being the watcher. Oh, right. I've noticed those thoughts, the mold. I've got Paul on the podcast. And then you just redirect your attention to your breath or you look for the color blue or something like that, right? Yeah. And and that just redirecting your attention is absolutely critical in developing psychological flexibility, mm. right? And that is the goal, to develop that psychological flexibility um, will really, really help people through difficult times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. I, I find even... You know, if we go back to the um, to the to the busy people that you're working with, I, I I find through my day I can't be effective if I'm getting lost in an in an email train or I'm going down here, I'm going down there, and all of a sudden the day goes and I haven't actually mm. ticked off the things that I want to do. Having that ability to be able to come back to hold on a second, I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked over there because this call came out of nowhere and then this thing had to happen. It's like yeah. let's just come back to like that ability to be able whether it's a thought or whether it's something that I'm actually doing during the day is super, super helpful. And I, yeah. I imagine it would be the same with CEOs of big companies. You know, these people need the ability to be able to stay focused on what it is they actually need to do to move the needle. Yeah, and, and, and it's a skill, right? And, and and it's something that we do need to develop and practice the skill, particularly in today's world, mm-hmm. because there's attention thieves everywhere, right? That little ping of your phone, the ping of the email coming in, you know, the stuff on social, they're all attention thieves. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, particularly the social media and the news stuff 
is designed to grab our attention, right? And 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 how does it do that? Sensationalist stuff and often negative stuff. So just you know, jump on any bloody website right now, and you'll see negativity, 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 right? Because that sells. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, when we're on the subject of social media, they they have a whole bunch of neuroscientists and behavioral economists looking at ways to steal your attention, right? There and they're very bloody good at it, right? <laughs> That's key. So it 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 is. It's a skill that is harder to develop in today's world, but like any skill, it's about practice, practice, practice. Mm, yeah, spot on. I want to shift gears for a moment because I appreciate um, you've got got things to do. Uh, I'm curious, what would you consider the the fundamentals of health being? Uh, yeah, and 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 how do you address those in your day to day life? Because to anyone who's listening and not watching. Paul, you look fucking good, mate. <laughs> you look real good for your age, man. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And I'm curious to hear what your kind of routines are around those fundamentals. Yeah, sure. So, so for me, the fundamentals of, of good health are good nutrition, um, which you can talk about. Exercise. We can talk about all of them, obviously. Exercise, a positive, resilient mindset, sleep slash recovery. And um, so I put, um, you know, that that's not just sleep. It's, it's overall recovery and breath work. For me, they are the five pillars of, of, of well-being, mm-hmm. right? So uh, if, you, if you want to take those one by one, we can, we can go yeah, through that, right? So, so um, nutrition. I, I mean, I, I recorded a podcast yesterday with Professor uh, Felice Jacka, who is just an absolute gun, particularly when it, it comes to food and mood. And, and, and we talked a fair bit about ultra-processed foods. Um, and and the, actually, I just happen to have a research paper sitting right here. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can see that. Ultra processed products are becoming dominant in the global food system. Yeah, right. Um, in the UK and in the US, more than fifty percent, and we think now in the US it's approaching sixty percent of all calories eaten are ultra processed foods. Mm. And in Australia, the data we have forty two percent, but that was from two thousand and eight. And we know right. it's been increasing every year, right? So ultra-processed foods, generally, stuff that's in the middle aisles of the supermarket, right? <laughs> stuff that's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff that you can't, and, and, and I've got a very simple thing around nutrition, right? Um, because there's the nutrition wars, right? It's like religion. Right. There's all these different totally. things. Yeah. And then with every religion, you have your fundamentalist extremists, right? Um, and so all the there's dogma and everything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So what I say to people, very simple. If you're looking at a piece of food and you can recognize that it has been alive recently and minimally interfered with by humans, eat it. It's fine. Don't worry about the bloody carbs, the fat, the protein. Just eat the damn thing. If you're looking at a piece of food and you're going, Mr. Krispy Kreme Donut, I don't remember seeing you running around on four legs, (laughs) then it's in your treat food, right? Right. So I'm not saying never eat it. It, We all need to have treats. This is the second rule, 80-20 rule. Mm. So 80, and this is the rule that we have in our house. And my kids actually self-regulate around it, right? Mm. They're 15 and 11, and they will self-regulate around this, that, oh, I've had my treat today, um, so so that's it, I'm done. So 80% of stuff that goes in your mouth should have been recently alive and real food. How do I know it's real food? Real food does not have ingredients. Real food, right? Real food is ingredients. That's yes. the key. Um, and then your 20% should treat food. Now, I... 
What is that treat food? Anything that's an ultra-processed food. So some of this stuff is pretty obvious, right? Cakes, pastries, donuts, all of that sort of stuff. Chocolate, ice cream, blah, blah, blah. Sausage rolls, yeah, you know, processed meats. Most people get that. The biggest contributor to ultra-processed foods, supermarket breads. Mm. Um, and breakfast cereals are pretty high up, right? Mm. Neither of those are healthy foods. Anybody who tells you breakfast cereal is healthy, needs their head looked at, right? Amen. Uh, uh, the, the only healthy breakfast cereal, in my view, is oats, rolled oats, unadulterated, and the cheapest things, right? So um, having, and, and, and it's like choose your poison, right? So I'm Irish, I'm ex-military, I like a tipple. So a large chunk of my 20% is alcohol, right? So I will trade off um, other foods. Like I like those foods as much as anybody else, but I don't eat them or very rarely would I eat them because I'm trading them. I'm going, not my 20% is alcohol, right? Um, And dark dark chocolate. And there's a strong argument, actually, that dark chocolate could be in the other one, particularly if it's like that 85% stuff because it's full of flavonoids and stuff. But so that that for me is just the very simple stuff around nutrition. Eat food that's been alive, make sure 80% of it, including your liquids. And I've got to think, don't drink your bloody calories unless it's alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, 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 that's the nutrition side of things right. Co- right. covered in a couple of minutes. Yeah. When we go to talk about exercise, I don't talk to, about, to people about exercise in terms of weight loss. And, and actually, people who are exercising to try to lose weight, it's not that effective. And um, we know that because when you start exercising, um, you're more tired later in the day and you tend to move less, right? So exercise is not that effective at losing weight. However, it is one of the most fundamental things that you need to do to make sure that your biology works well. And the last decade particularly has highlighted um, the, the, the myokines. These are messenger molecules that are released from exercising muscles that get into your bloodstream and impact on different organs. So we know that there are myokines that impact on your pancreas and your liver and your gut and your heart to improve how, how all of those organs operate. Then these, these myokines also impact on your immune system, your bone to grow bone mineral density, but they have a massive impact on your brain, right? And in your brain, these myokines help to create new brain cells to protect the brain cells that you have against damage and to create new connections um, in the brain as well. And that there is like if exercise was a drug, it would be the single best drug ever designed, ever. There's not, you can't even give me 10 drugs that when you combine them all will, would have the biological effects of exercise, right? Yeah. It is fundamental to our biology. And, and, and it's probably summed up best by Professor Frank Booth, who's a bit of a, a, a guru exercise physiologist. Um, in the Journal of Applied Physiology in 2012, he was writing in a research paper, he's talking about exercise, and he says, the human genome has not changed in over 45,000 years. Said the current human genome requires and expects us to be highly physically active for normal functioning. 
No two way he didn't say optimal functioning, normal functioning, right? Exercise beats antidepressant medication, anti-anxiety medication. You know, it's awesome for your for your cardiovascular. It's just awesome all round, right? <laughs> Amen. Man. So so for me, exercising every day is a is a non-negotiable. But um, as well as doing, so I've just been for an, an hour's workout um, and, and lifting weights. And I think I, particularly as you get older, that becomes more important. I mean, I, I think there's been historically a disproportionate focus on cardiovascular exercise. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not good for you. It's really good for you. But we have underappreciated the benefits of resistance training. Of lifting heavy shit, yeah. and and that becomes more important as you get older mm. to preserve that muscle so that you can release these myokines, right? And um, and but also it staves off um, sarcopenia, muscle and bone wasting, which is a killer in and of itself, right? Because muscle improves your insulin sensitivity and just does so much stuff. So I like to say to people, lots of walking is a good baseline, right? And um, but it's not enough to be, to be a peak performer. Then you need to do, and it depends on how into it you are, right? Two to five strength training sessions a week, and then a, a couple of high intensity interval training stuff for your cardiovascular system. And I actually like to combine them, right? So I'll do high intensity intervals with weights. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm getting my strength and I'm getting my cardiovascular stuff in one. And the other thing that we need to do as well, particularly as we get older, is mobility. And I'm bringing more and more mobility into my training routine because, you know, when you become immobile, you stop moving. And, and what's the quote? We, we don't stop moving because we grow old. We grow old because we stop moving. Right. Right. That's my favorite quote. Love that. Yeah. So that, that would be the exercise thing and, and my recommendations around exercise. Yeah. Beautiful. And, just touching on lifting heavy shit, you know, I wrote this, uh, I wrote about this in my book and I have this theory, there may be some signs around it, I don't know, but in those moments where we're doing a heavy deadlift or a heavy back squat, right, what we have to go through mentally in, in like, in, in like we have to prep for it, we have to get ready for it, part of us thinks we, we may not be able to do it, then we have to commit, we have to push, struggle and we get through it and we have the success like all within a, a number of seconds. Like yeah. to me, everything I've achieved in my life so far, I've gone through that same journey <laughs> mentally just over a longer time span, right? Yeah, and yeah. so lifting heavy shit actually helps get us into that, like going through that process. So I really like it. Yeah, and, and, and look, for me, it's a, it's a cross-stressor, right? So there's this... There's tantalizing evidence around this that that actually in the military, we just noticed over the last thousand years that the fittest soldiers seem to be able to handle greater emotional and mental stress, right? And this is this cross-stressor hypothesis that when you expose yourself to the stress of exercise or heat or cold, which we can talk about, um, then not only do you become more resilient and and bigger, faster, stronger, and able to handle the stress of exercise, but there's a spillover effect to other stressors, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's a, a little peaks of research. There's quite a lot in the animal world, but more is starting to come through the human world, and I'm focusing in on that on my PhD. Mm, right, right. Yeah, beautiful. And so, um, briefly, those other those other fundamentals that you spoke about, or sleep. I see you're wearing an aura ring. It looks like yes, that is that is an aura ring. So, so sleep is just sleep's a weapon, right? Just full stop. And 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 if you don't have good sleep, it destroys your biology. 
right? And we interfere with our sleep because we mess with our circadian rhythms because we go to bed at different times. We drink too much caffeine. The half-life is six hours. That means 12 hours after a cup of coffee, a quarter of it's still in your system. So try to kill the coffee or the caffeine by midday because it's, you know, it's a Freaking brain stimulant. They give it to fighter pilots. Man, it, is, it is legal drugs. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, well, it is. It is a legal drug. It's a psychoactive drug, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's great for certain things, right? But when you're relying on it, if you need the first cup of coffee to wake up, mm. then that's bad juju, right? Mm. Um, so so the, 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 the sleep stuff um, is, you know, we need between seven and nine hours. Some people need a little bit less. But just getting in that routine, regularity of bedtime, regularity of wake time, you know, minimizing your alcohol because that imp- impacts on REM sleep. Caffeine will impact on deep sleep as well. Um, stress impacts on sleep. I mean, this is there's bi-directional connections all between these things, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, and, and then a couple of things that are really important for people around sleep, early morning and evening light exposure getting out into that early morning and evening light when the sun's rays are yellow, when it's rising and setting, entrains your circadian rhythms, right? And helps with sleep. Exercise also helps with sleep, particularly if you do it in the morning. Um, and and then, and just a rule that, you know, your, your brain needs to know that your bedroom is a sleep sanctuary. It's where you go to sleep. And if you're lucky, you get a bit of oofty magoofty every now and then, right? <laughs> but it's not, it's not for televisions. It's not for laptops and it's not for bloody mobile phones. Hold on, man. And there's lots of people going, that my mobile phone's my alarm clock. And I say, buy a $10 alarm clock, get tight arse. Get you. your phone out of your room. And, it, and I'm very passionate about this, particularly about teenagers. Teenagers who bring a device into their bedrooms sleep on average one to one and a half hours less than their peers and have double the risk of mental health issues right yeah, yeah. so that's pretty critical so that's the sleep stuff and recovery and and i like to get bits of micro recovery so let's combine the exercise so right beside my desk i've got kettlebells and i've got club bells and every 30 minutes i'll get off my arse do some kettlebell swings or some club bell stuff get some blood flow and oxygen up to my brain and then i sit down and do one to two minutes of box breathing right or resonant frequency breathing where it's about a six 10 second breath cycle in for four out for six right so breath work and we don't have time to go into all of that but using your breath to control your nervous it's only taken us scientists three thousand years to catch up with the knowledge of yogis right <laughs> that certain types of breath work can affect your heart and your brain and they do it through the vagus nerve stimulated from the bottom up and the phrenic nerve and it reduces your blood pressure reduces your heart rate brings your brain out of a stress state, right? So that would be the recovery, your sleep and your micro recovery from little bursts of exercise and followed by breathing is like taking your brain out and plugging it into the wall to get a recharge, Mm. right? Mm. Now, um, the other stuff I I would add onto this is thermal therapies. So heat and cold, right? You're obviously a big fan of the heat. Um, yep. uh, and, and, and I now have a sauna, um, the, one of your saunas, which is friggin' awesome. And that there's a heap of research around um, heat exposure, particularly uh, sauna exposure, and enhancing longevity and activating stress response proteins, the same ones that are released by exercise that change your gene expression, right? right. And there, there's just, there's so much stuff and we will see so much stuff coming out about both heat and cold exposure. Mm-hmm. So I do my cold exposure with a cold shower. Um, every time I've had a shower for the last five years, I turn it to cold for 30 seconds. I also 
um, get into the, we're actually just about to start again, a bunch of guys going down and getting in the water um, once a Lovely. week, um, the freezing cold water. It's a bit colder down here than it is up there, I can <laughs> yeah, tell you, yeah. particularly in winter. Yeah. And we just get in for 10 minutes and laugh at each other. But that cold <laughs> exposure is actually really good because it releases, it's these stress response proteins mm. that are released with heat and cold. And actually, I'm really excited about now coming into winter because I've got, I'm lucky enough to have a swimming pool right beside my sauna and doing that heat and getting into the cold. I'm, I'm really excited about doing that, right? So that, that for me, both heat and cold are what we call exercise mimetics. So they mimic the biological effects of exercise, mm. right? And um, which is, is, is really cool. And then if with your infrared saunas, you have some independent benefits, right? From that in that infrared light. Um, so then what did we talk? We talked about sleep. We talked about exercise. We talked about recovery. We talked about exercise. We talked about nutrition. We've talked about breath work. Uh, and we've talked about the heat and cold. The other one is just that mindset, right? Yeah. Um, and we mentioned that a little bit earlier on, but it's about having, um, a lot of people talk about positive mindset. I actually like to talk about um, having an act, a bias for action, right? And there's this beautiful term from Japanese psychology called arugamama. With things as they are, what needs to be done, right? And it's, it's like you, with things as they are, fucking hell, my, my, all my skiing equipment um, is just, is, or my snowboarding equipment is goose. I've got mold down there, blah, blah, blah. And people could play the victim and bitch and moan and you'll sulk about it for a week. Or you could just go, with things as they are, what needs to be done? I need to clean that shit up, right? Let's clean that shit up, right? So having that action bias and, and the sage and the gremlin, and whenever you're struggling, you say to yourself, what would my sage do right now? Um, for me, they're really the things that 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 underpin good health, and and you can't separate physical and mental health out. You really can't. Mm. Man, that's beautiful. I don't really have anything uh, of wisdom to add to that. So thank good, you. <laughs> Paul. If people want to find out more about you, uh, how can they do that? Where can they find you? Two places. One, one's a podcast. So I get the interview and, and I, as you do, I get the interview, lots of cool people all about enhancing your mind, body, brain. So my podcast is the mind, body, brain project. And my website would be the other place, which is mindbodybrain.com.au. Beautiful. And I've got some free resources and stuff like that on the website that, that people can avail of. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been an awesome 50 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it's been. Cool bananas. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And I look forward to getting you on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I look forward to that too. It'll be fun. We can talk about sauna and health and some of the things that we've spoken about today. That's, that's my wheelhouse. That's what I like. Yeah, to. yeah. I, mean, I want to talk about these crazy 21 and 31, 30 day water fasts. I would love to get into that with you, actually. That'd be, that'd be really cool. Excellent. Good stuff. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Enjoy your flight, man. Cheers. Cheers. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes.